Now there's another grave over there, it's a brilliant one. Uh, it's a Kavanaugh grave uh, in memory of Rose, who was buried when she was 18. In 1800, she was 18. And her mother, Mary Kavanaugh, died in America in 1864, aged 104 years. So it suggests that sometime in the 1830s, when she was over 70 years of age, she went to America. Hello and welcome to Stories from a Living Graveyard, a podcast series created by myself, Finn DeWire, and Damien Shields, the host of the Forgotten Irish podcast. In this podcast, episode six of the series, we're travelling back to 19th century Wicklow to explore the impact of the Great Famine and the huge exodus from Ireland which accompanied it. We will look at the huge trauma this inflicted on the Preben area and how it haunts the graveyard to this day. We'll also be examining the transatlantic legacy of emigration from around Preben that scattered the relatives of those buried there far and wide across Canada and the United States. This podcast series has been produced in association with the Preben Graveyard Committee and the Heritage Office of Wicklow County Council. Damien and I would like to thank the Heritage Council and Wicklow County Council for funding this podcast and their work to reveal the hidden heritage of Preben Graveyard. Sound was by Jason Looney. The inscription to Mary Kavanagh, which Jack Lynch highlighted, is among the most evocative of all in Preben Graveyard. A woman who had reached adulthood when America won its independence. She was already approaching middle age by the time the 1798 rebellion burnt through her local area. Shortly afterwards, she had been forced to endure the anguish of burying her young daughter Rose at Preben. She would have watched as young local men departed to fight in Britain's war with Napoleon Bonaparte and was still there to witness the same men's return as gnarled and grizzled veterans. As her old age approached, the hardship she had experienced and changes she had witnessed could have filled multiple lifetimes. But for her, one adventure still lay ahead. Across the Atlantic, in America. When she died and was buried in the United States, someone in Preben took the time to make sure she would be remembered in her Wicklow home on the very grave of her daughter who had died all those decades before. Mary's story prompted Finn and I to wonder about other immigrants from the local area, what their stories might be and where they had gone. To help us answer those questions, we turned to noted Wicklow historian Jim Rees, the author of Surplus People, From Wicklow to Canada. Jim takes up the tale. Everybody who nearly who's buried here had somebody who crossed the Atlantic, whether it was to Canada or to the United States. There were two massive immigration movements or migration movements from this area. Uh, we, we were part of the Fitzwilliam estate. Now, the Fitzwilliam estate, the Fitzwilliams were a massive landlord, the biggest landlord in Wicklow. They had 90,000 acres, one-sixth of the entire county, and they were based over in Coolatin uh, at Shalala. But this was, part, this was all part of the estate, even though we're 10 miles away or more. So the big landlords like Fitzwilliam, who had the population, a tenant population of 22,000, and he said, right, we're getting rid of 5,000 of the poorest, and we're going to ship them out to Canada. And to spread that between 1847 and 1856, and we have the names of every one of those people who were shipped out in those, that 10-year period. We have 
family relationships, we have ages, we have the townlands that we're from. So anyone listening to this whose ancestors went out from this area at that time, we mightn't be able to take people to a field and say, that's where the house was, but we can certainly take them to a townland, which is only a couple of square miles at best, and look at the hills around, look at the fold of the land, look at the stream going by, that's exactly what their ancestors saw in the 1840s, exactly the same place. The roads that we'd be travelling on are the same roads. Okay, they're tarmacked and everything now, but basically it's the same road system. And so it's uh, sort of it's William um, migrations, clearances, uh, are very well documented. The Fitzwilliam clearances affected dozens of families in and around Preben. These poor people must have been filled with a mixture of fear, anxiety, anger and expectation as they made for the emigrant boat. Even as they left, Fitzwilliam had their homes pulled down behind them in order to prevent them from being occupied by any other families. We asked Jim where these Fitzwilliam immigrants had left from and just where they ended up. They went to two places to put them into Quebec first because that's where most of the ships were going in and the ships left from New Ross. And uh, so they would get from this area down to New Ross, what's that, about 60 miles away. So they would have to get down to New Ross and join the ships there. And most of them, the vast majority of the ships in that 10-year period from New Ross went into Quebec. And they went through that infamous place called Gros Isle. Some of them died, quite a few of them died on the passage across. Some of them died at Gros Isle. But one... Shipload in particular on the Star in 1848 went to a small place and I've been there in New Brunswick and St Andrews and I couldn't figure out why this anomaly, why this one, there were about 20 shiploads and only this one went to St Andrews and when I researched it over in St Andrews the reason was we were building a railway line to go from St Andrews up to Quebec so Fitzwilliam Supposedly, when I first looked at it, I thought out the goodness of his heart had arranged that these people would get work when they arrived. Until I looked at the company records, the railway company records, that William was one of the major shareholders. And he, footed, he paid their costs and all over. And it costs in the region of about £2,000. Massive amount of money in the 1840s. But if he did, he got £2,000 worth of extra shares in the company. So it was the bottom line all the time. And when they, actually what they did then is uh, they stayed in Quebec or in St Andrews for a couple of years and then they just spread out through Canada. Or in many cases, the reason Canada was picked out in the United States was because the Fitzwilliam estate was paying for the passage. Uh, a passenger ticket to Canada was £3.10. £3. shillings. A passenger ticket... Uh, to the States was £5. So he saved an awful lot of money on the fare. But most people, anybody who had any sense of geography in that group, wanted to go to the United States. So all they did is when they hit Canada, they walked south over the uh, 49th parallel and got into the United States. Schemes such as those devised by Fitzwilliam left long legacies, both in Wicklow and in North America. As Finn and I sought to find out more about these people's lives, we came across small fragments that offered glimpses of the Wicklow immigrant experience and the impact that emigration could have on extended families. One came in the form of an information wanted advertisement, which was published in an American newspaper in 1876 as a woman from the area 
sought to reconnect with her brother and sister-in-law, whom she had not heard from in 30 years. Information Wanted 1876 Kelly of Thomas and Ellen Kelly, maiden name Ellen Kennedy, who left Tinnahealy, County Wicklow, about 30 years ago, last heard from were in Hamilton, Upper Canada. Address their sister, Margaret Kelly, 1116 West 2nd Street, Wilmington, Delaware. The Fitzwilliam clearances were not the only immigration scheme which saw people leave Preben for the New World. A local priest also tried his hand at providing new opportunities for disadvantaged locals in the United States. Jim explains the story. At the same time in 1850, the local parish priest here, Robert Kilvaney, again about a mile and a half from here, he organised 1,200 people from this area in three ships to, uh, from Liverpool. He got them all over to Liverpool first and they sailed from Liverpool to New Orleans and, uh, because he wanted to get to the Mississippi Basin. And the reason for that was everyone thinks, oh, they went to Boston or they went to New York or they went to Savannah, but these went to New Orleans because they were, they were to travel up the Mississippi then until they got to Little Rock in Arkansas. And the reason they were going there was uh, the new bishop in Arkansas, was a new diocese in, at Little Rock. And he wanted to get as many Irish Catholics into this new diocese as possible. So there was a whole thing. And don't forget, if you wanted to spread an international message 150 years ago, the best way to do it was through the Catholic Church. You could get a message from places like New York or Little Rock or anywhere else into the tiniest village and parish in Ireland simply with the Catholic Church system going into everywhere. So these 1,200, they went on three ships from Liverpool and we have the passenger list of those three ships as well. So they landed at New Orleans. Some of them had died on the voyage over again, but some of them had just sick, so sick and tired of that terrible voyage. It was six weeks. They said they got to New Orleans and said, we're not moving any further. We're staying here. And others carried on with Father Hoare up into Missouri and up into St. Louis. And some of them stayed there. Others headed out 150 miles west to the western state line of Missouri and Oklahoma to a place called Fort Smith. Others still went up to uh, Iowa. And in northeastern Iowa, they set up a village there and put up a church, which is still there, St. Patrick's Church. And they set that up in 1851. And the village that is built up around it is called Wexford. So it's Wexford, Iowa, and it was called Wexford after Father Hoare, who was originally from Our Lady's Island down there, just south of Wexford town. Right. And it was a fantastic story. But to go into the graveyard at Wexford, you might as well be in this graveyard. It is exactly the same. The topography is exactly the same. The trees, the rich fields, this could easily be northeastern Iowa and vice versa. But you go into the headstones, there are Kavanaugh's, uh, Doyle's, Brennan's, all the local names, and you can see the same names in these basically Irish graveyards. Father Hoare's scheme was another for which we found evidence in the information wanted section of the American newspapers. What follows was an advertisement placed in 1895 by Wicklow emigrant Thomas Furlong as he sought news of his sister, whom he had not heard from in almost 35 years. Information Wanted 1895. Furlong. Information wanted of Mary Furlong, native of County Wicklow, Ireland, who came to New Orleans with Father Hare's colony in 1850, 
and was last heard from at the breaking out of the Civil War, was living at West 28th Street, New York City, was married to a man named Smith, and had one son named P.T. Smith. Any information concerning her or her family will thankfully be received by her brother, Thomas Furlong, Engadine Post Office, Michigan. Although all this mass immigration must have brought a great sense of loss to the area around Preben, it also helped to sustain it. And just because these people had forever left their Wicklow home, it did not mean that they didn't maintain connections with it, as Jim explains. One of the things that doesn't, well, it doesn't get enough publicity, but it's very hard to quantify it, but we know it was massive. The economic benefit that Ireland got from immigrants sending money back very, very hard to quantify because it was all done on a private basis and a family basis, but absolutely essential to it at the time. And it was called, uh, I think came in called chain migration. Uh, the eldest son went out for the sake of argument, or in many cases the eldest sister, uh, the eldest daughter. Ireland is unique in Europe in that uh, the level of young single females who emigrated in the 19th century to America uh, were even, I think Poland is the next after us, but we would have three, four times the amount. So female migration to America from Ireland was very high. But whoever went out first would send money back, and some of that money would be to help sustain life here. But some of it would be saved to one side for the next child to go out. And this was what they call chain migration. It has been estimated that immigrants remitted $260 million to Ireland from North America between 1848 and 1900. As Jim notes, some of this money was used to help those who had stayed behind to make ends meet. Some funded tickets so that more could seek a better life in the United States. Still more was used to fund headstones in local graveyards. The importance immigrants placed in marking graves is typified by this 1860s remark by Irish-American Patrick McConnell. I will have a headstone on my father's grave if I have to go hungry and bare-legged to do it. Back in Preben, it is clear that 104-year-old Mary Kavanagh was one of those who had benefited from the close ties that bound Preben to Wicklow's immigrant diaspora. It may even have been American money that paid for the headstone at her daughter's grave. But the sad reality is that for thousands of locals in and around Preben over the centuries, their poverty denied them the opportunity to record their loved ones' names in stone. Instead, they had to seek other ways to memorialise their families, as Jim points out. Uh, what you will find here in most of these ancient graveyards, you will find a headstone so there are people who had the money to do it. Because let's face it, if you haven't got money to put food on the table, you're not going to find money to put up a headstone. So you will find lots of stones. This is why it's very important. When restoration work like this has been done, you don't get over-enthusiastic and move any random stones out of the way because that random stone could well be a poor person's marker. Uh, so you have to be very aware of that and very careful of it and respectful of it. The variance in types of headstones was something that the team became very aware of during the survey works. The care and attention they took allowed them to identify numerous forms of memorialisation at Preben, as archaeologist Yvonne Whitty reveals. In terms of the headstones here, in a way you've got, I suppose, like a real example of you've got the people who could afford headstones, who could afford stone cutters of the time, and they have quite elaborately carved headstones. Then you've got people maybe who, who 
they wanted to remember the dead. They have a simple X marked on the stone. And then they've got other people who, the people who are poor in the times of the famine, and they just have simple grave marks where there's just a slate stone inserted into the ground. And we have 322 names recorded, but there's at least three times that amount in little grave markers that are left here, you know, in the unmarked graves. So, and you can see the amount of humps and bumps the whole way through the, to the graveyard. Like this, this site has been, people have been buried here for a long, long time. And you can, as you can see by the topography, all the little mounds and humps and hollows. Like the tip of an iceberg, the named headstones at Preben Graveyard represent only a tiny proportion of the people for whom this is a final resting place. We will never know how many of them were forced to bid a tearful farewell to friends and family as they bundled up possessions and set off for far distant lands. As with Mary Kavanagh, those Wicklow immigrants would find their own resting place thousands of miles away from the fields and glens they had once called home. But even from afar, they continued to have an influence over their childhood home and the graveyard of their ancestors. To conclude this episode, Miklaw, who helped clear up Preben Graveyard, sings us out with the emigration song, Noreen Bon. Originally about Donegal, Mick has altered the lyrics to include lines about Preben. In the next and final episode, we look at how the community today relate to this incredible place, adding their own chapters to its history. Until then, Sloan. There's a graveyard here in Preben Where the flowers sadly blow There's a broken-hearted mother Kneeling o'er the lonely grave Saying, my knowing you've been calling been a long year since you've been gone. Twas the course of emigration that lay you low, my knowing bond. Now come all you fair young colleagues, think well before you go. From your humble homes in Ireland, what's beyond you'll never know. For what is gold and what is silver, when your health and strength have gone. When you think of emigration, won't you think of Noreen Bond? When you think of immigration, say a prayer for Noreen Vaughan.